Pink Grandeur in YYFM. You're listening to YYFM. Hello and welcome to the Silver Scene podcast, episode three. Um, this is a show where I get to talk about everything and anything, film or TV or Hollywood related. And you, the audience and the people over at YYFM, get to listen to me and my ramblings. Um, we've had a week's weeks long break since I recorded my last episode. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back into this one. I don't think it'll be a very long episode, but... You know, quality over quantity. Um, and I hope you do think this episode is quality. Um, so we got to talk about um, the finally the end of the slag after strikes, or what I hope to be the end, unless something sur- like resurfaces and shows their head. Um, we've got um, the Marvel's box office numbers not looking too great. Um, Napoleon. Um, Ridley Scott's upcoming film releases next week. Looking forward to watching it. And the historical controversies that have um, arisen from it since the review embargo is now lifted. And then we'll talk about adaptations in films and TV and um, how faithful you need to be for your work basically to be considered an adaptation or how faithful should you be. Um, so we'll start off with the sag after strikes, and they are over now. The um, studios and sag after have come to a, a tentative agreement on a deal. Just needs to be voted on, um, or has been voted on actually. Um, I got my uh, my information wrong. Um, it was a quite an overwhelming majority in favour of it. Um, I think it was eighty eighty five percent were in favour of of this deal and the terms of the deal. But since then, there's been a few um, issues raised about the language used and how generative AI continues to be something that the studios uh, want to use and now in this deal with the language used can use. Um, so they did they do a Q and A obviously where they you know ask any ask ask any questions and answer any questions that people have about the deal. And one of the big ones was about generative AI, you know, do they have the ability to use our likeness um, through AI, uh, the studios, do they have the ability to use our likeness through AI um, if we don't want to work for them or, you know, what have you, and yes, it seems they do, even if you are on strike, they can still use your likeness, which, you know, while the union has obviously tried their best to get the best deal they can, that seems like and the union have admitted that this is the case, but it seems that that's a bit of an oversight over, like, um, yeah, an oversight for them on the deal and their negotiations for the deal, because it just devalues any strike you're going to do in the future. Your commodity is that you're going to be able to be there and, you know, act and be recorded and take part in these films. Well, if the strike's not off, sure, you're, if the strike's on and you're striking in, let's say, 10, 15 years, however, hopefully there won't be a need for a strike in the future, but let's say there is, there likely will be, then uh, the, act, the, the the studios can just say, well, okay, you go and strike, we'll just use generative AI to, um, to uh, get your likeness in the film and to do your lines and your scenes and everything. And sure, it'll be a worse result um, 
I mean, by the time there is another strike, maybe the AI will develop to the point where it's indistinguishable, who knows. But it just makes... It, you know, there's going to be some studio out there that would rather, you know, keep the money flow of, you know, making content and stuff than being impacted by the strike. And they will do it. You know, they, they've shown that they, they want any shortcut they can to avoid strikes and to um, to stop their employees, essentially, or, you know, the, the people who make their films worth watching um, anything to give them as little power as possible and more in the hands of the money men and the businessmen and this is a really big oversight in my opinion because I mean maybe there's some more language that you know just hasn't like come to light in the in the the deal or whatever or what have you where it's not as big of an issue as people think but right now that's what the conversation is about and how you know a lot of actors are kind of pulling back their support for the deal because of this but I think that's enough on sag after. I hope we don't have to talk about it in the future because we've done four episodes so far and it's been one of the main topics in every single episode. And I'm, I'm bored of it now, frankly. Um, so next we've got a little um, interesting story, which is that the Wallace and Gromit makers, Ardman Animations, have only enough clay left to finish their next film, which is the next Wallace and Gromit film. It's untitled, I believe. Um, but the studio that provides their clay has shut down. And so this leaves them in a precarious position where they can't really, you know, start developing the film afterwards until they have a guaranteed supply of clay. And it's not something to really think about, is it? <laughs> With uh, claymation. But, yeah, they have to get it from somewhere. And does it need to be a certain type of clay? Does it need to be, um, obviously, a certain amount of clay? I'd imagine the type matters. There is different types of clay. I know that much about clay, which is, <laughs> you know... <laughs> isn't a specialty of many people nor myself but um, you do see it a fair amount um, but yeah Wallace and Gromit um, you'll, you'll be hard pressed to find a British person who doesn't like Wallace and Gromit and wouldn't be looking forward to what um, Ardman Animations assuming they knew that they make Wallace and Gromit and what their next project is so hopefully they do find a clay uh, supplier, and hopefully this doesn't become a thing where I have to talk about this 24-7 either, because I, you know, clay just doesn't happen to be one of my biggest interests in the world. Um, it doesn't seem to be for many people either, unless you're, what, a potter? Or, um, uh, or one of the people who's making claymation, I guess it would be, yeah, yeah. So, um, enough about clay. I've said that word so many times I've forgotten the meaning of it now. Um, so, The Marvels is the MCU's lowest grossing film to date, MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm assuming you know by now we've talked about the Marvel um, Universe enough times in these podcasts where, you know, you, you realistically, you should know. I expect you to know this now. It's such a part of our culture, the cultural like moment that we're in uh, with the MCU and... Uh, superheroes and stuff, and to be honest, frankly, I've not been interested in the MCU in a in a good year, year and a half, two years maybe. Um, but it keeps cropping up because it is the biggest uh, set of franchise in the world at the moment, apart from maybe Star Wars. Maybe Avatar is is more more popular than it. Um, but yeah, it has the low. It's the lowest grossing film to date. Um, I think it made a hundred and fifty in its first weekend. Um, 150 million dollars that is 
in its first weekend. But since then, that's that's an alright number. You know, for the MCU it's low, but for uh, any other film that's a pretty good number. And that's about how much Kills of the Flower Moon has been able to make so far. Um, which is unfortunate, we talked about that last week. But the real shocker is that it has the biggest weekend drop of any superhero film ever. Now, the weekend drop is the weekend after the opening weekend, how much is dropped by. It's normal for films to drop, every film drops. You know, it, it Barbie dropped, and look how successful that was. Um, but this has dropped 78%, which is um, a bigger drop than The Flash. It's a bigger drop than the critically panned Morbius film with Jared Star and Jared Leto. Um, and there have been some discussions about why this is the case. You know, it wasn't really advertised very well, partly because of the strikes. You know, the actors couldn't come out and talk about the film. They were they're all union members. Um, but also, I think Miss, well, the Marvels, the characters in the Marvels have been, you know somewhat controversial to the MCU fan base. Captain Marvel, when that released, I really enjoyed Captain Marvel, I thought it was a really good film, but a lot of people didn't, and a lot of people boycotted the film because they didn't agree with um, Brie Larson's like, gender politics, I guess, which I couldn't care less about, I've come to watch a film, I'm not not bothered um, which way you lean, uh, to be quite frankly, to be quite frankly, to be quite frank. so I watched it anyway, really enjoyed it. She's great as Captain Marvel. Um, but a lot of people kind of have this, like, negative opinion of Brie Larson because of her politics, um, with them being very left-leading. And I don't think that's fair, really. I don't think it, it it's fair for you to... Well, okay, well, you can have your opinion on her, obviously, and you don't. no one can force you to go and watch a film, but I think it's a bit um, short-sighted if you refuse to go and watch a film purely because of that. Um... But yeah, so that that's one case with there where the leaders, you know, is very fifty fifty of people who you know are actively supportive of her and people who are like detractors of her, I guess. Um, and a similar thing happened with Miss Marvel, which was a Disney Plus TV show. Um, Imam Imam Velay, um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, she plays Miss Marvel. Um, I got three episodes into that series. I enjoyed the three episodes, but that was when I sort of stopped watching. Marvels. I didn't carry on, but they they were good, um, and I think and the 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 next main character in in the the film um, is Monica Rambeau, who's a um, black female superhero, and so I think this film has kind of you know fallen victim to the whole uh, everyone you know the way people the divisiveness of that sort of thing. And I don't think it should be divisive, really. It, it's the Marvels that. You know, the whole point is that they're all, you know, they've all got Marvel in their name, Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel. Um, I'm blanking on Monica Rambeau's um, superhero name at the moment. I've not seen the film myself. Um, But it's, I think a lot of people aren't going to watch it purely because they think, you know, oh, it's going to be filled with gender politics, identity politics, or what have you. But, you know, just... It's a divisive topic in the way that there's people who feel very strongly either way. I think the average person probably um, is indifferent uh, either way. They'll still go watch the film, they're not too bothered. 
But that's the issue, is you're talking about a subsect of a subsect of a subsect, and so that's why this film is getting low and low box office results. Um, so far, the reviews seem to be quite positive. I mean, they started off really low um, for this film, um, but they've just gotten higher and higher and higher as it's gone on. It started off being the MCU's lowest-rated film of all time, and now it's sitting in about a top, like, top quarter of the MCU's um, highest rated film so it's definitely grown on people I think a lot of like the controversial takes have gone out of the way like starting off with at the start of the the, the film's life cycle I guess um, but you know uh, I might watch it who knows it's it's not like a, a case for me of not watching it because um, it has three lead actresses in it for example it's more just you know, I'm not really that interested in the MCU. I didn't watch Guardians of the Galaxy three either. I'm just, it, it's I've lost interest in it. Um, but Imam uh, Valai, who um, plays Miss Marvel, like I said before, she had some comments about it. A reporter asked her, you know, how do you feel about the poor box office results for the Marvels? And she um, basically uh, rebutted in a very uh, very correct, in my opinion, um, smart way, where she didn't like you know she wasn't damning either either side of the fence. She was just like you know well, that's not up to me. I can't control that, so it, it it's none of my business really. Go and ask um, Bob Iger, the head of Disney, what he thinks about it, um, because she's right, isn't she? There's nothing she can do about it. What's the point in worrying about it? The only thing she can do is give as good a performance as she can and by all means all the reviews say you know she's great in it um, and so are all the lead actresses and you know she's very passionate about Marvel and so maybe the film would have grossed a bit more if she could have been able to advertise the film and promote the film a bit more um, if the strike wasn't happening but unfortunately she couldn't. Let's move um, swiftly on from the Marvels and we'll go to our last two topics so we'll start with the Napoleon historical controversy topic. So as we discussed in a previous episode about Napoleon, it does seem to have some historical inaccuracies. You know, the the way Napoleon is portrayed by Joaquin Phoenix is um, he's a lot more, you know, like saddened and uh, dour and he's just, you know, not very lively, which is, you know, historically the opposite to what Napoleon would have been like. And we also see like the pyramids getting shot at and blown up, and you know, or damaged, not blown up. That's that's the wrong word, to be fair. Um, when really the battle for Egypt took place miles away from the pyramids, you would barely be able to see them on the horizon. So that obviously wouldn't have happened. But it's because the film's review embargo has um, has like lifted, I guess you would say. Um, the reviews are a lot more mixed than people were expecting. It's got about a 60% Rotten Tomatoes, which means about 60% of critics would recommend you go and watch this film. Um, which is a shock, because it was Ridley Scott, it's Joaquin Phoenix, it's a, a big epic being positioned as one of Sony's biggest films of the year. Um, but a lot of the criticisms is about the historical inaccuracies in the film. And Ridley Scott has um, responded to these historical inaccuracies, you know, saying that the reason why we showed the pyramids being damaged in the attacks is because it sets, you know, it makes the audience know immediately that he took Egypt very quickly and quite easily. Um, 
and he also had a re- another rebuttal against the historian saying you know all these historians are telling me this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong well you weren't there so how do you know which is quite um it's quite a wrong take really when you consider that napoleon is one of the most well documented like historical figures ever um and we know almost everything about his life from day one to the end um and it's not something where you know this is like an, we know a lot about them but they're an obscure character and so you know it's hard to find this information this is napoleon this is very easy to find and because it, it's someone so big and important and impactful in history most people also do know about napoleon especially the people who are going to watch a film about him so these inaccuracies are a lot more glaring and obvious to the audience um i have my own tickets booked for this this wednesday coming um well, actually, when you listen to this, it'll be yesterday, because this will be published next Thursday. Um, but I can't wait. This hasn't, you know, removed my interest in the film, or maybe it's dampened my excitement a little bit. If it was like, you know, like before I went to watch Kills of the Fire, Moon Oppenheimer, where everyone was saying this is, you know, a world-class film, then maybe I'd be more excited than I am now, but, you know, give it the old college effort and try. So our last topic before I have to say goodbye to you in this episode is the adaptations of previous works and how much creative freedom should an adaptation have this has come into um my own head my own uh, internal conversation i guess with the release of scott pilgrim takes off which is very different from the film it's a netflix uh, original very different from the film scott pilgrim vs the world directed by edgar wright the whole cast returns to this netflix short not short, this Netflix short series, I guess. Um, and it's still produced by Edgar Wright, but it's a lot more faithful to the um, the books or the comics. I think they're, they're, they're comics that Scott Pilgrim, you know, is, is an adaptation of. And how there is um, a lot of discussion about people who are 50... It's kind of 50-50. Everyone seems to really enjoy it. You know, everyone really enjoys it. But people are like, I prefer this, I prefer the film. And it's because they're very different. Edgar Wright took the creative freedom, um, took it, uses creative freedom to make the film a lot more fast-paced. And, you know, it, it has his, his signature editing style, you know, quick objects moving in the foreground while the character runs, or, you know, sharp editing, sharp cuts that perfectly transition to other scenes. And they're kind of missing from this Netflix show. Um, I miss it a lot. Edgar Wright's my favourite director, so of course I'm going to miss it. And I don't enjoy it as much as the film. I still enjoy it. Um, But it comes into conversation where, you know, this is more faithful to the source material than the film is. But yet it's very divisive, you know. So which... Would, Would it be better to be more faithful or less faithful? Or to just pick and choose your battles where, you know being as close to source material as at its best. And it was even more pertinent that this subject's come out because Game of Thrones had a um a leak or House of the Dragon. I always get those those two mixed up. House of the Dragon had a um a discussion recently over rumours that two characters that are critically important to the story would not be in season two. They weren't in season one. One character's called Nettles, who's a dragon seed. And I'm not gonna say any more than that because that will um spoil, you know, the seasons but she is an important character in the story and so is um 
the youngest son of Viserys and Viserys the Viserys the first, yes, Viserys the first, and Alicent, um, Alicent Hightower, their son Dayron, who isn't mentioned in the first season. He should have been. Um, Dayron is canonically in the um, in Old Town. Um, at the time of that season, and everyone raised questions at the time. You know where is he? He's a he's a fan favorite character. People like him, and the showrunner said, "Oh, don't worry. He's being um. He's he's still in the in the plans in the show. You'll see him eventually." Um, but the rumor is that neither of those two characters will appear, appear in season two, and this has let the fans made the fans go into uproar essentially. Because they really want to see these two characters, they are vitally important, and the fact that they're not introduced in season two is a bit concerning. I think Nettles can possibly wait another season, but Darren has to be in season two. It, there's no way around it, and because of the whole um, the creative liberties that HBO have taken with Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon compared to the books. Now, Game of Thrones, it was mainly the last three seasons. That's because they ran out of source material, and George R. R. Martin, the author of the source material, stepped away from the show. But it's caused a lot of people to be like, "Ooh, like a bit antsy." You know, on edge. Is this? You know, are they going to make another bad decision with this show? Um. I, I hope not. Maybe this is, you know, a, a false report. This is just a um, a rumour from a reliable leaker. They've leaked a few things about um, House of the Dragon from the previous season, and it's been completely accurate. No one mentioned it before. They mentioned it. It's true. So they have some reliability. Let's see. You know, and HBO isn't exactly known for being, you know, leak-proof, let's say. I mean... It's happened about four or five times now where a whole episode of Game of Thrones or House of Dragon has leaked a week in advance. And speaking of that, I remember when the whole script the whole script leaked of season eight of Game of Thrones, the final season, that like generally the the, the commonly held belief that is the by far and away the worst season and it was a really bad season of TV. The whole script leaked. No one believed it because we all thought, this is too bad to be real. Lo and behold, it was real, and it was really bad still. So, um, thanks for listening. I am going to record my next um, review episode for a Nicolas Cage film, Dream Scenario. Um, so, listen to that, uh, please, if you want to um, you want to decide whether you should give it a try or not. I think you probably should. Um, but I won't say any more because that will spoil my own review. I don't want that to happen. So, thanks for listening. Please tune in um, next week uh, where we'll discuss a range of other topics and then also have a review for Napoleon, which I'm looking forward to. So, goodbye. Diolch am rando i YYFM am fwy o gynnwys fel hyn i ddiliniad lein ac i arall ni wybod beth offech chi gwywed nesaf yyfm.com. Thanks for listening to YYFM. For more content like this, to follow us online and to tell us what you want to hear more of, visit itsyyfm.com.